Okay, we're going to begin here on the bottom of Zion and with Bet, three lines from the bottom by the two dots. Why didn't you come to Shul to Davin? I wasn't able to make it to the Shul. So at least get a minion together. If you can't make it to Shul for whatever reason, at least get a minion together to Davin with the minion. It was too much effort, too difficult for me to get a minion together, so I didn't do that. So at least get information as to when the tzibur is davening. What does it make a difference when the tzibur is davening? I'm davening at home, I'm davening by myself. My dichtiv, what is meant by the pasuk vanit filati lecha Hashem etratzon? That my tefillah, my prayer to you, Hashem, is at the eight ratzon at a time that is favorable. So I am at eight ratzon. What is the eight ratzon? When is this time or good time for doing such a thing? The time that the congregation, the tzibur, is davening. So over here, there's actually a huge machloket about the girsa and the gemara. The way that we have the girsa in our gemara, it says there's a din of eight shasha shatzibur mitpalalim. At the time that the tzibur is mitpalalim, which is different than the gemara that we had on davav. Davav, we had the gemara that said, Tanya Abba binyamin omer, ain't filash l'adam nishmat elvabet knesset. That the prayer of a person is heard in the shul. And if you have them be distinct, memorable, that means that you actually have two dinim here. There's a din of Beit Knesset, there's a din of davening in shul, irrespective and independent of minion, and there's a separate din of davening at the same time as the tzibur, even when you're a yachid. So you have two dinim here. A yachid at home should try to daven at the same time as the tzibur to match it up, and a yachid who can't daven with the tzibur should try to go to the shul and daven there. Two different dinim. The riff, on the other hand, makes it all into one girsa. He creates here the same thing. It says that ain't Knesset, and he quotes the exact same thing as we said before on Davov. He says again here that ain't Knesset. The Rosh has a slight variation on that, which is in the first case he says Knesset, and the second one he says Knesset or Betzibor. So it connects the two. The reason that this is important is what are the Milo that we're speaking about here? Is there an independent Milo of Beit Knesset that is separate from Minyan? Based on many of the Rishonim, there is a separate din of Beit Knesset, which is a Milo in Beit Knesset, independent of Minyan. So even if you have a Minyan, you're still better off davening in a Shul than davening in your house, because the Shul affords a qualitative difference in the Tfilah. As opposed to some of the Rishonim here, who seem to indicate that the only Mailah of going to Shul is that's where the Minyan is. And therefore, your only benefit of Shul is Minyan. If you could replicate that somewhere else, you don't have any more benefit by being in Shul than you do at being at home, as long as you have a Minyan. Tor and Orachim actually paskins that way, and seems to indicate that there is no Mailah of Beit Knesset independent of Minyan. But the Rambam and all the other Rishonim indicate that there is a Mailah in Beit Knesset independent of Minyan. And therefore, Beit Knesset, in terms of a hierarchy, gives you a qualitatively better davening. Because, both because of the Makom Kedusha, as well as the Rovam Hadrat Melech, a number of the reasons that are brought down by the Shon Machronim, I sent you all the Mekorot on this, that Shul, or Beit Knesset, has a value, and therefore people should try to go to Shul to daven with the Minyan, rather than to daven with the Minyan in their homes or in anywhere else that's not considered a Beit Knesset. I also sent you the Mekorot as what to the Gedder, what is considered to be the Beit Knesset. I think one of the most important of them is the Rashi. And the Sidur Rashi says, if there are two Avelim, and they want to split up so that each Avel can be a Shleach Tzibor, and one of the Avelim davens in the Shul, and one of the Avelim goes out into the courtyard, over there he says that the courtyard is not considered the Beit Knesset. It's as if they're diving like Yechidim. They don't have a din of Tzibur anymore. It's like they're diving like Yechidim. Tarashi's indication is that the shul creates a certain amount of congregational unity that, that cannot be replicated outside of the shul. And that's why it makes it a qualitatively different filah. So over here we have the additional din. If you have the girsa that we have in our Gemara, which is that if a person is unable to attend shul, he should at least try to daven at the same time that the tzibur is davening, that there is a value to setting your tefillah or getting to Shmon Esri at the same time that the tzibur reaches Shmon Esri. And now the Gemara is going to give a number of other psukim to indicate that idea. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Chanina, Amar Mihochot. You can learn it out from this posuk. Ko Amar Hashem, Be'it Ratzon Aniticha. At the time was favorable, 
Aniticha, I answered you. So Aniticha is written in the singular. So I answered the individual at the time of the eighth ratzon. As Rashi said before, and again here, eighth ratzon is a sha'ashi shel ratzon. There's a time period that is favorable in God's eyes. That time is when the tzibur daven. It's a very difficult explanation here because the literal meaning of the pasuk is Hashem who is mighty, v'loimas. He will not reject or despise. So the kabir in the pasuk is modifying the kel Hashem. So the mighty God, v'loimas, will not despise. And the pasuk continues afterwards. But the way the Gemara is reading it now is hein kel kabir v'loimas. They're almost like dropping out the vav from the pasuk and saying, those that are mighty, mighty not referring or modifying Hashem, but mighty being in numbers. Those that are mighty in numbers for God, God will not despise them or reject them, indicating that the field of the tzibur is not rejected. Miktiv. And the other pasuk says, Padat b'shalom nafshi, mikaravli, Hashem redeem my soul in peace, mikaravli, from those that waged battle against me, ki birabim ayu imadi. So again, the pasuk of pasuk is that there were many against me. There were many who were fighting against me. The way the Gemara is reading this is, because of the rabim ayu imadi, there were many with me, therefore Hashem afforded me that protection. Meaning that the tzibor affords me the protection as an individual. So being joined with the tzibor, there's a value of the Yachid to correlate his davening with the Tzibor in order to have that protection of the Tzibor. Tanya Namiochi, we have a brighter that supports that understanding. How do we know that God does not reject the Tfila of the many, of the numerous? Again, the way we explained it before, the Gemara is reparsing the Pasuk, not in the Pashtuta Pasuk, but rather they're looking at the Kabir to refer to the number of people rather than as a modifier of God, the mighty God, but rather God does not reject or despise the mighty, the many. And then the Bach inserts here in the Girsa, What does it mean that Hashem redeems my soul in peace? Anybody who toils in Torah, and doing chesed, and davens together with the community, as if he has redeemed me and my children, my children referring to B'nai Israel, from amongst the nations. We learn this after the Pasuk, as Rashi points out, because the Pasuk says, Pada bishalom nafshi. What is it that gives me this redemption? That's shalom. So what is this shalom? So Rashi says, number one, shalom refers to Torah, because v'chol nitivoteh shalom. So therefore we have the Torah described as Shalom. And Gimilut Chasidim, it's a beautiful explanation of Rashi, says Shemitoch Shugomel Chesed Begufo. Gimilut Chasidim as opposed to Tzedakah. Tzedakah is the giving, fulfilling the monetary needs of the other individual. Gimilut Chasidim is doing Chesed Begufo. So when you do that type of Chesed Begufo, he realizes, acknowledges that you are someone who loves him. Uvali de Achva Vishalom, and that creates peace and brotherhood between the people. So the word shalom can use to describe Torah. It's also used to describe Gimilut Chesed. So therefore, when it says Pada Bishalom Nashi, that when you redeemed my soul through peace, the peace is referring to Torah and Gimilut Chasadim, as well as Hamitpalel Imatzibur, the one who davens together with the Tzibur. And we'll see, because the one who joins in with the community and is a part of the community also brings this Shalom, as well as the fact that the latter half of the Pasuk says, that there were many along with me. And therefore, Hashem says, Shalom, through Shalom, you took care of Nafshi, Mikaravli. Instead of reading it as Mikaravli, those that quarreled or fought against me is reading it as Hakrovimli, and those that are close to me. So you took care of me and those that are close to me, meaning B'nai Israel, and because you joined in with the Tzibor. So those three things together, which are obviously fundamentals of Judaism, Torah, Gimelut Chesed, and Tfilayim Tzibor, those allow us to redeem Hashem from the Galut. So Amoresh Lakish, Kol Mish Yeshlo Bet Knesset Be'iro, anybody who has a shul in a city, he does not go there to Davin. Nikra Shachin Ra. It's called a bad neighbor. Shinamar. Koamar Shem al Kosh Chenai Haraim. Hanogim Benachalash in Chalti et Ami et Israel. 
So Shem says to all these bad neighbors who are attacking or taking the inheritance that I gave to my people. So Hashem is speaking to them that calls them their bad neighbors, those that attack or take away my inheritance. Not only that, he causes exile to him and his children. This is the continuation of the Pasuk. I'm going to uproot them from the land. And I will take out the house of Yehuda from amongst them. So the Pasuk is suggesting to us, anybody who touches the Nachalav Hashem, so Nachal Hashem can refer to Eretz Yisrael, or the Nachal Hashem can refer to the Batei Knesiot and the Batei Midrashot. So those Nachalot, if they you attack them, are nogea by them, you're called a Shachin Ra. And how are you nogea by them? That you don't go into them, you don't attend, you don't join in with the Tzibur in the Beit Knesset. So why are you called a Shachin Ra? So there are two possibilities to explain what the Shachin Ra is. One possibility is that you influence others. Shachin Ra... And that's the way it's used in a vote in other places. That is, having bad neighbors has an influence on the individual. And since you're not attending shul, others will be impacted or influenced by your not attending shul. That's one possibility. The other possibility is you're shuk and ra because they need you for the minion. And your lack of attendance in the shul will cause them not to have a minion. So that's the shuk and ra aspect of it. And the puzzle continues. And you know, and the p- continuation of the Pasuk is that I, they're retrib- in retribution, then I will exile them, Mida keneged Mida, which is the fact that this person did not attend the shul, and either caused the people not to attend shul, or caused there not to be a minion, and so the house of Hashem remained empty, so then Hashem will empty them from their houses, He'll send them into Galut. So I'm related to Rabbi Yochanan, Ike was reported to Rabbi Yochanan that there were people who had lived long lives in Bavel. Tama said, how could it be? Vamar. The Pesach says, It's only in Eretz Yisrael where one can attain a long life. But outside of Eretz Yisrael, that is not true. Rabbi Yochanan himself was zochet to a very long life. And that actually created a big difficulty in terms of the Talmud Yushalmi. In the Talmud Bavli, the way that we can generally date things is by the Amoraim that appear, or the Amoraim that are quoted, we can figure out when the Memrot were and who the peers are. The problem is that in the Talmud Yerushalmi, Rabbi Yochanan is a very prominent figure. And since Rabbi Yochanan lives through three or four generations, meaning he has a very long life, it makes it very difficult to date when people lived in terms of the Talmud Yerushalmi because Rabbi Yochanan is always appearing. Um, Rabbi Yochanan spanned over so much time it's not giving us a clear indication if this is first, second, third, or fourth generation. Mar says, So after they told him that they get up early and they stay late in the shul, that's what saved them. That's why they're having long lives there. Come early to shul and leave late from shul. In order that you should live a long life. You should commit your time, free time, to the shul. And again, the, if you extend your time within the shul, then Hashem, in return, will extend your life. What's the pasuk that teaches us this? It says, Ashrei Adam Shomei Praise be the person who listens to me. Lishkod al daltotai To be present or sit at my doors, yom yom, daily. Lishmor mizuzot techai to guard the doorposts of my opening. And afterwards it says, If you do so, which can be references to coming early and staying late. When the one who does that is told in the subsequent puzzle, The one who finds me spending time at my house and being there early and being late, then they will find life. They will be granted the gift of life. And they will obtain favor from Hashem. Rabbi Yochanan saw in the fact that they had a reverence for the shul, they came early and they left late, and they committed their time to learning and davening, that that's what saved them or gave them the opportunity to live a long life, even though they weren't found in Eretz Yisrael. Some suggest it's connected to the fact that the Bate Knesiot and Bate Midrashot are an oasis of Kedushah in Chutz Laaretz. And those oases of Kedusha and Chutzaretz are similar to Eretz Yisrael. So people who spend more time in the shul, it's as if 
they are in Eretz Israel, and that's what grants them the longer life. Media connected Mida. If you spend a lot of time in the shul learning and davening, Shem words you with a long life. Person should go in through two doors to the shul. He learns this from the pasuk that we quoted before, which was Lishkodel Daltotai and Lishmor Petachai, which uses the plural form, which indicates two doorways. It says, what do you mean two doors? Why do you have to walk through two doors? First of all, maybe there aren't two doors. What is the idea of walking through two doors? You should enter the shul in the amount of two doorways. And then only afterwards you should daven. So the number of machlokot here, one machlokot is, how big is that shiur? Mashir is four of something. So either it's four tfachim is a doorway, or four amot is a doorway. If you have two tfachim, then you're going to have either eight tfachim or eight amot. That's one of the machlokot here, how far you have to go in. The second thing is, what is the problem here? Rashi claims the problem is that it's improper to sit by the doorway. If you sit by the doorway, it looks like you're trying to run out of shul. You're trying to be in the location where you can leave quickly when the shul is over. And that makes it look like davening is a burden to you. So Rashi says that you should enter deeper into the shul in order to show or indicate that you're comfortable and happy to be there. The Rabbeinu Yonah and others bring an alternative explanation, which is that one has to have Yishuv Adat when they start to daven. So it's improper to start davening as one enters the shul immediately. First they have to come into the shul and sit down and have a yeshiv adat, and then only then begin davening. Whereas sitting by the doorway, there are many people who have their seats there. If you have a, a small shul or you have a tight shul, there's nowhere else for the individual to sit. If you look in the Bach, the Bach brings a tosafot that we don't have on our page, that it says exactly that. How can you blame someone if that's their makom kavua? And the Rebbeinu Yonah says, if that's a person's makom kavua, then it's not a problem because everybody knows why you sit there. That's because it's your place, not because you're trying to run out of shul. And therefore they offer the alternative shot here of waiting, but when you come into shul to start davening, it's brought down in the Mishnah the practice that when a person enters into the shul, they, as they're entering in, they could say, Ma'atov olecha Yaakov, and then they should stop after they've gone the shir of Shnei Ptachim, Stop for a second, and then say, So, a somewhat of a kiyom of this memra that we have here in the Gemara. And now the Gemara continues, it quotes a mitzo. So every righteous individual should daven for this. Le'it mitzo, at a time when you are found. So what does that mean, le'it mitzo? Gemara wants to darshan on this, that every righteous person should daven to Hashem. Not le'it mitzo, with the Pashtuta Pazuk means at the time that Hashem is found. But late mitzvah in order to find something. So they want to know what it is it that you're davening to find. So I'm going to have a late mitzvah zuisha. That it's and when you want a time period when you're looking for a wife, that's the time to come before Hashem in order to ask for a proper wife. Shinemar, matzaisha, matzatov. One who finds a woman has found goodness. Ubimarovo, in Eretz Yisrael, kanasiv inish itita. When an individual married a woman, amri lehachi. They used to ask him. Once he had his bride, matzah or motzeh? How is this bride? Is she a matzah or is she a motzeh? Matzah, what were they asking him? Matzah is based on the pasuk that we just quoted from Mishlei, which is, You find a woman, you found goodness. And he'll receive favor from the eyes of Hashem. Motzeh is based on the pasuk in Kohelet. Found the woman more bitter than death. So the question they were asking was, did you get a good find or not? Did you get a good woman? Matzah is, you got a good woman. Motzah is that you didn't get such a great woman. The Groh says on this that you have to note something very interesting, true psychologically, and is a very deep understanding of the human psychology. And that is that the Psukim here, quote, either Matzah or Motzah. The question is posed as to whether this woman is good or bad. Why does it matter, Matzah Motzah? But there's a difference. Matzah is in the past tense. And motzei is in the present tense. So why does by matzah isha matzah tov? When it's talking about good, it talks about the past tense. And when it says motzei ani marmi mavet that isha, it talks in the present tense. And that is because that is the nature of an individual. When a person has something good happen to them, and when they have accomplished something or received something from Hashem that is great, it's matzah. It's all in the past tense. Yes, I got it. That's it. I'm done. I'm past it. It doesn't sit in front of your eyes all the time. It doesn't sit in front of you. Wow, look what I have. Look what I got. 
I have to say thank you to Hashem. I've got to appreciate what I have. On the other hand, when someone has difficulties or when something goes wrong, then it's motzei. It's in the present tense. It's always in front of the individual. The person is always aware of the bad. That psychological insight the Grub points out and the difference between it being in the past and the present tense is something that we have to be careful about. That when something good does happen, it shouldn't just be matzah. It shouldn't just be in the past tense, but rather be motzei. It should be something that continues with us and is always present. And that we should try to be when things are not so great and difficult, that that should be matzah. That should go to the past tense and not be uh, front and center in our lives. So now we have alternative opinions as to what this late mitzvah is. That what is it that was meant by we should dive in to find something. So the one that has found me has found life. Is death. This is the most difficult. That Hashem controls the death of the individual or when the person dies. So here they're playing on the word totsa'ot to be similar to the word mitzo. We have a brighter that supports that understanding. There are 903 different types of deaths in the world. The numerical value of totsa'ot is 903. Two tops is 800. Tzadi is 90, that's 890. And then you have vav vav is 12. And the aleph is 13. So that gets you to 903. Kasha The worst or the most difficult death is askara, which is translated either as croup or diphtheria. Necha the nicest or the most pleasant death is nishika, death by kiss. The death by Askara is equivalent of a thorn that catches a ball of wool and is pulled out backwards. So as you pull out the thorn from that wool, it rips away pieces of the wool along with it. That's what Askara is like. Some say it's It's like the two different translations here. Either Piture comes from the word Pitriot. It's like mushrooms getting stuck in the esophagus. Or the other alternative, which Rashi presents over here, is that the piture are talking about ropes. They're ropes that were used to tie these ships together. They were very, very thick ropes that were pushed through the holes in the boards to hold the boards together in the ship. And so they were very, very tight fit. And that's the same thing over here, like the ropes pushing through the esophagus, something very, very tight or difficult moving through. And that's the sensation of dying through Askara. Nishika, death by the kiss of God. It's like drawing out a hair from milk. Something very smooth and easy. It's the nicest form of mita, which we know the Midrash in other places tells us was the way that Aaron, Miriam, and Moshe died. To mean the day of burial. So you should pray for a proper burial, a good burial. What pasuk proves that? Those who rejoice exceedingly and are happy when they can find the grave. Reaching old age is only finished once one reaches the grave, and there is a certain amount of celebration of coming to the grave in a proper manner. The people should daven that the last plot of dirt will be placed on their grave in peace. That when they're buried, they should be buried completely and totally in a proper manner, down to the last detail. For accessible facilities. That of Marzutra makes the most sense. And that is because, as Rashi points out, in Bavel, there was a very high water table. And since the water table was very high, it was difficult to create bathrooms or outhouses there because of the high water table. And therefore, what they had to do was usually go out far into the field to, in order to gain privacy in order to relieve themselves. So anybody who was located near a bathroom, that was something that was extremely beneficial and something that you want to daven about, that your life should be one of ease when it comes to your physical needs and not something that is very difficult. So you had here a number of suggestions as to what davening to Hashem for Le'et Mitzvah was. We had Le'et Mitzvah, one is for a woman, for a good wife. The other possibility was for Torah, your chilek in Torah. Other one was Zumita, the death that Hashem chooses for you. And then we had the Kvura, was number four. And Beit was 
number five. So I'm going to lay Rova the Rafam Bar Papa. Lema Lan Mar, Mehani Mili, Malioto, Damrit Mishmeda of Chista, Mili de Beknishto. So Rova says to Rafam Bar Papa, why don't you say over us some of these great words that we heard from Chista with regards to the Dinim of the Beit Knesset? So I'm going to lay Achamar of Chista, Maidichtiv, what is it meant by Ohev Hashem, Sharetzion, Mikom Mishkinot Yaakov? That Hashem likes the Sharetzion, the gates of Zion, better than any of the residents of Yaakov. So, Oev Hashem, what is Sharetzion? Sharim hamitsuyanim behalacha. Yuter mi bate kenesiot umi bate midrashot. Hashem likes the gates that are demarcated by halacha better than the shuls and the bate midrash. So here the Gemara is determining of Sharetzion as Sharetzion, those that are marked or designated. We know that the word Sha'ar is used in the Torah to refer to Beitin. When you bring the individual to the Sha'ar, you're bringing them to the Beitin. There we're talking about places where the Halacha is learnt, where it's Halacha Lamase, where they come to conclusions. So Hashem likes the Sha'ar and Mitzunim Halacha better than the Shuls and the Batamidrashot. The day of the destruction of the Mikdash, all that Hashem has left in His world is the foramot of Halacha. And so there are many explanations given about this as to why the Arba Amot of Halacha, which is that what used to be in the Lishkat Gazit of the Sanhedrin Agdola that was next to the Mikdash, after the destruction of the Mikdash, that no longer exists. And so halacha is relegated to the individuals, arvamot. They learn and sit and dwell and toil in halacha. So that could be the, the meaning over here. Or it could be that the manifestation of Hashem in this world, which used to be through the Mikdash, is now found through Torah and halacha. That halacha is the remnant of the manifestation of God and God's word in this world. Because before it used to be done by the Mikdash and the Kiddush Hashem created by the Mikdash, that is now created by the Halacha. So, Vamar Abaye, Mereisha Vagarista Megobeta, I used to learn in my house, Umatzlina Vebeik Nishto, and then I would daven in the shul. Came in the Shemana Lahad Amar Abchia Bar Ami, Mishmedu Ulo, after I heard this Memra, Miyom Shechava Beit Mikdash, Enlo Koshbok Melo Abramot Shalacha Bilvad, Lova Matzlina Elohecha de Garista, I used to daven in the same place I learned. Rabbi Ami, Rabbi Asi, Afagav, Davulei, Tleisar, Beik Nishta, Betveria. Even though they had 13 shuls in Tveria. Lomatzlo, Elabene, Amude, Echodavagarse. They only daven between the pillars. Rashi says these are the pillars that held up the Beit Midrash. The location where they learned. So they would daven where they learned. So now what's interesting over here, it's not clear from the Gemara and the Rishonim argue about this. As to whether they were davening with a minion or without a minion. Because Abaye, when he makes a statement, he says, I used to learn at home. And then I'd go to Shul to Dav, and then he says, the end, I just davened where I learned. Well, if he was learning at home, that means that he was alone at home. And same thing here with Ramami Vasi, it's not clear whether they have a minion with them. And so the Rishonim argue about the interpretation as to whether there's a minion or not a minion here. And obviously that has implications alocha, which is, do we give precedence to diving in a location where you learned, even at the expense of minion? So generally, we pass on the that we don't do that. If it comes to the choice between minion and the place that you learn, we're going to pick minion. But if one has the ability to dive and be minion in the place they learned, obviously that's another qualitative addition or benefit to their tefillah. Better or the result for an individual who benefits from his own work, own labor, more than someone who is a Yirei Shemaim. Shemaim. When it talks about Yirei Shemaim in Tehillim, it says, Ashrei Ish, Hashem. Praise be the man who fears God. When it's someone who enjoys the fruits of his labor, Not only is it Ashrei, that you should be praised, but Tovlach, it also be good for you. So you get both of those benefits. That's missing by the Yerei Shemayim. So the explanation of this Gemara is difficult because it seems to be missing a piece of the puzzle. We know the mission of Ot says, Tov, Toraim, Derech Eretz. The Torah along with Derech Eretz is beneficial. And that would seem to be what is indicated here through the Gemara. 
that someone who benefits from their own handiwork and is still a Yeresha Mayim and still Osek Torah, that's better than someone who is simply Yeresha Mayim, that he learns Torah and he keeps the word of Hashem, but he depends on others to do that. And so that would be the simplest explanation of the Gemara here. But the problem is that the Gemara seems to contrast a Yeresha Mayim with someone who is Yigiyah Kapecha. So one way to explain it was the way I did is to say that they're both Yeresha Mayim. And it's just a question if it's Yigiyah Kapech or you're depending on others. Others want to suggest that even without the factor of Yerei Shemayim, that the Gemara says that it's better to benefit from the fruits of your labor than it is to be a Yerei Shemayim. Because Yerei Shemayim is always dependent on others, because he doesn't have a means or a source for his parnasa, and therefore his Yerei Shemayim is subjugated to the will of those that give him. And so he, they could force him, in a sense, to change his mind. They can push him in directions. Whereas someone who has the ability to support himself can make his own decisions. And since he can make his own decisions, he can be more influential and yashar in his avodat Hashem. Next part of the Gemara. A person always should live where his Rebbe is. Because as long as Shimi Gera was around, Shlomo never married Bat Paro. In Melachim, when it talks about Shlomo Melech and the issue with Shimi ben Geira, shortly after he kills Shimi ben Geira, Shlomo marries Bat Paro. So the Gemara is drawing a correlation between those events because they happen in close succession. Vatanya, don't we have a prayer that says, Ayudor, don't live by your Rebbe. Lokasha, the Koifle, depends whether a person is accepting of his Rebbe's rulings, or he's not accepting of his Rebbe's rulings. So as Rashi points out, if he's under the authority of his Rebbe, and he'll listen to what his Rebbe says, better to be there, because then his Rebbe will direct him to do the right thing. On the other hand, if he ignores his Rebbe, and he's not subservient to his Rebbe's will, then it's better not to live near his Rebbe, and Rashi quotes it as, Mutav shogigim Better to be a Shogig than to be a Mezid, where a person is defying the Psak of his Rebbe, better that he be somewhere else, where he doesn't know what Psak of his Rebbe is. Amar Huna, Amar Yami. Hashem those that leave Hashem will be annihilated, destroyed. That's someone who leaves the Sefer Torah while it's still being read from and goes out. Rabbi to avoid that problem, only went out between Aliyot. Can you leave between Psukim? In the time of the Gemara, we know that they were Metargim, the Kriyata Torah, same way that the Yemenites still do it today. They read one pasuk in the Torah, and then the mitargim, we mitargim that pasuk. The Rabbah wants to know, while the mitargim is speaking, is it okay to leave? Is that still considered to be disrespect for the Torah when you leave at that time? Mar leaves that as a teiku. Then we have a very interesting memro here from Sheshit. Rav Sheshit, Mahadar Ape Vigoris. While there was Kriyat the Torah going on, Rav Sheshit used to turn his face away and learn. I'm doing my thing, and they're doing their thing. That's the way they learn Torah. This is the way that I learn Torah. So why did he turn his face away? So Tosafot mentions over here that we know from the Gemara and Sota that once you open up a Sefer Torah, you're not allowed to speak about anything, even the Vivre Halacha. Tosafot makes a couple of distinctions over here. He says the Gemara and Sota that says you're not allowed to speak when the Torah is open, that's Bikol Ram, if you're speaking out loud, because then you're disturbing others. But if you do it quietly, learn Zeb quietly, that'll be fine. And the Chiddush over here is that even though Rav Sheshit turned his face away, that was still allowed, even though it looks like he's ignoring the Torah, we still allow him to do this. And then he brings from the Rif, that's only if there's a minion besides you. If there's no minion without you, then you can't do this, because they need you for the minion for the Kriyat Torah. In addition, he brings from the Rif that Rav Sheshit was unique, because Torah to Umanato, he lived a life of Torah. And since he lived a life of Torah, he was okay to turn away and to learn. But that's not true for any other person. And Tosafot says about that, Anan mistavarlan ki hai We like that answer. That answer makes the most sense. The Rav Sheshit was unique in being Torah to umunato, and this is not a ruling or a halakhic ruling for the masses. And people can't learn while the Sefer Torah is open. As the Talmud Rimeno point out, it's something that other people can learn from. And if other people see you learning during the Torah, they won't know or that disrespect that they think you're showing towards the Divrei Torah is something that will cause them to do the same. And therefore it's important to take that into consideration while Kriyat Torah is going on 
that other people will imitate your behavior. The Talmidei Rabbeinu Yonah also note that Rav Sheshit might have been unique because he was a Sagi Nahor. He was blind, and therefore he was not Chayav in Kriyata Torah. And so he turned away out of respect for the Torah, but since he was not Chayav in Kriyata Torah, that's why he turned away to learn and not listen to the Kriyata Torah. Again, there's still that danger that is brought by the Mishnah Barua and others of people imitating the behavior, even if you are allowed, or you have a dispensation not to listen to Kriyata Torah, you have to know that others will imitate your behavior and not necessarily the Tovah for good, because they'll see you not paying attention to the Kriyata Torah, even though you're learning or doing something that is permissible. Nevertheless, they will also not pay attention, but end up doing something that's not permissible, end up talking and reading things that are not Limud HaTorah. In addition, there, Tamir Rebbe give an additional explanation of why he turned his face away. Tosfot over here says that that's the Chiddush, that he was allowed to turn his face away. The Tamir Rebbe said he had to turn his face away. And that's because, Ahosik mitzvah poter min mitzvah. So if he turns his face away, that means that he's already asuk in his learning. Then he doesn't have to stop his learning to go listen to the Kriyata Torah. On the other hand, if the Kriyata Torah already started, then he can't turn away to learn, because that is disrespect to the mitzvah. And so the turning away of the face was a way of him separating himself out before the mitzvah of Kriyat Torah began. And by doing that, he exempted himself from having to be a part of Kriyat Torah. So Tamidei Rabbi see the turning of the face as a way to indicate that you're taking yourself out of the mitzvah of Kriyat Torah. Whereas Tosbud sees it as simply a chiddish, that even though it looks like you're taking yourself away, that it's okay to do that. All right, next in the Gemara. Person should complete his parshiot with the community, with the tzibur, two times the psukim and one time the targum. Even this pasuk of atarot vidivon, which as Rashi points out, that doesn't have any targum associated with it. Today, if you go look in a chumash of atarot vidivon, it's the end of parshat matot, the cities that Reuven and God take from Avery Yardane, Atarot and Divon do have a Targum that is associated with them. Tosafot over here gives a different explanation than Rashi and says, one explanation like Rashi, that if you don't have a Targum for the Pasuk, you have to read the Pasuk three times instead of reading the Targum. But then he suggests a secondary answer, which is that even if there's no Targum Unculus, the main Targum that we have, that we read, is Targum Unculus. But there's also a Targum Yushalmi that is assigned them in the Mikrot Gidolot. And that's what it says, even in a Pasuk where there's no Targum Unkulus, you should use the Targum Yushalmi in that case. And so it's possible that the Targum that we have by Unkulus is borrowed from the Targum Yushalmi, which Tosfut suggests did have a Targum or translation of Atarot Vidivon. So Shakol, Amashlim Parshiotave Mitzibor, why should you do this? Because anyone who finishes Parshiot with the Tibor, he lives a long and quality life. can't remember who I heard this about. I think it was about the Chavetz Chaim, that he always was mocked with on Shtayim Mikrechatargum, and they used to make fun of him. Why are you doing Shtayim Mikrechatargum? You could be learning Gemara during that time. Why waste your time in Shtayim Mikrechatargum? And he answered them, because the promise by Shtayim Mikrechatargum is, says with the extra life that I get from doing Shtayim Mikrechatargum, I'll make up for the Gemara that you're learning now. So Rabbi Abai Savar Lashluminu the Parshiata the Kulishat Ba Mala Yomakipuri. He wanted to finish off all the Parshiot on Arab Yomakipurim as a schut going into Yom Kippur. Tanale Khir Bar Mdiftik Tiv. And Pasuk says by Yom before Arab Yomakipurim and itimet nafshu tichem bitisha khodesh bearev. Says at the ninth at night. Vikhi Tisha Mitanin. Do you really fast on the ninth? Aloba Saramitanim, don't we fast on the tenth? So therefore, anybody who eats and drinks on the ninth, it's considered as if he fasted on the ninth and tenth. So Tosfut says is, if they asked him to fast on the ninth, it'd be as if he fasted on the ninth. Not that they asked you to, but had you, that would be classified as if you fasted on the ninth. So since I'm ready and willing to fast, Hashem considers it as if I did fast. Others, like Rashi suggests over here, that the ninth is preparation for the tenth. That Yom Kippur is found on the tenth. That one should eat on the ninth in order to be prepared for the fast on the tenth. As the preparation is done for the tenth, it's considered as if it's part of the mitzvah of the tenth. Others suggest that the eating on the ninth is actually a part of the inoy on the tenth. Because the more that you eat on the ninth, the harder the fast will be on the tenth. And that's creating an extra inoy. So the eating on the ninth is part of creating the inoy on the tenth. And the third explanation about the eating on the ninth is... That Yom Kippurim, which is a Yom Tov, 
So Yom Tov, that the Gemara even considers that maybe you should have to make Kiddush on it. We make Shechianu for Zman. But it's a Yom Tov devoid of the character of a Yom Tov, which is Suda. And so what we do is we take the Suda that should have been on the 10th, and we bring it on to the 9th. So the 9th is the Hashlama to what should have been on Yom HaKippurim, the missing piece of the Yom Tov on Yom HaKippurim, that we do on the 9th. The point being that he can't be asuk in doing all of the Shtayim Mikra Echotargum and Erev Yom HaKippurim because there are other mitzvot ayom. There's the mitzvah of Suda and eating on Erev Yom HaKippurim that supersedes the learning for Shtayim Mikra Echotargum. So Savalak Duminhu. So he thought, okay, I can't do them late before Yom Kippur. So maybe like Duminhu, I'll be doing them early. I'm like, oh, Saba, older gentleman said to him, Tanino, Bivajli Yakdim Shliyacher. You can't go before the tzibur, and you can't go later than tzibur. You have to do it at the same time as the tzibur. Rabbi Shul ben Levi the Bnei. Rabbi Shul ben Levi says to his children, You should finish up the parshiot, the parshiot of Shavuah with the tzibur, two times mikra, reading the psukim twice, and then the targum once. And then he brings other items that are mentioned there. Before we move on to them, what does that mean that he shouldn't go early and shouldn't go late? The Tosavot over here suggests that the earliest time that the tzibur begins to read the parsha is on mincha of the Shabbat before. And therefore, Tosavot says that you could start doing Shtayim Mikra Vechatargum from mincha on the Shabbat before until the Kriya on the day of Shabbat. Because that is Mashalim Parshiotavim at tzibur. Tosavot also suggests that the minog or people did not eat their Shabbat meal until they finished Shtayim Mikra Vechatargum. I always thought that it meant the daytime meal, that they would not sit down to eat until they finished the Shtaymik Vechatargum to be Mashlimin at Tzibur. Obviously, it could be referring to the night meal, although my gut is that it's referring to the daytime meal. So the Aloha, it's brought down that the optimal time to do Shtaymik Vechatargum is actually on Erev Shabbat. The Mishnah Burr brings to the Mate Yehuda and others that say that it's fine to do it all week. Again, beginning from the Mincha on the Shabbat before, after that point, until the completion of the Parsha, on the following Shabbat. It's brought down that Bidyevit, if one is unsuccessful at that, that optimally they should at least try to finish it up Motzei Shabbat, and if not, until Rivi'i Shabbat, because we know that Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday of the succeeding week are connected to the previous Shabbat. So until that Yom Rivi'i, he should try to finish up the Parsha, and again, if he's not successful at that, he has until Shmini Atzeret in Eretz Yisrael, Simcha Torah, and Chutz to be Mashlim Parshiotav in Metzibor. So there is a hierarchy here as to the optimal way to do Shtayim Mikra Targum, the best way being within the time period when the Tzibur themselves is reading the Parsha, and then their dispensations, if he misses that, to do it afterwards to try to make it up all the way until the completion of the cycle of the Torah and Shemini Yatzerat or Simchat Torah. In addition, when we talk about Shtayim Mikra Targum, it's to read the Psukim twice and then to read the Targum once and not to rely on one time that you hear it through the tzibur. Mr. Burra brings down Bidyevet that you can use it if you read along with the shot, but that is not the optimal way to do Shtayim Targum. Targum should be independent of the Kriyat Torah of the tzibur. The other thing, and the question that's always asked is, why Targum? And so Tosuot explains that why Targum, we've seen this a number of times already in the Brachot, that Targum was the spoken language, it was the colloquial and therefore, the Targum was a way for the people to understand the Torah. So what about people who don't understand Targum? What about people who live in foreign countries that don't understand Targum and they don't understand Hebrew? Can they use the translation into their local language as the Targum? So at first, Tosavad wants to say yes, but then he backs away from it and says that Targum Unculus is not simply a translation of the Pesukim, but it's rather an interpretive translation. It adds in Mamrei Chazal, and it gives guidance through the Targum as the Psukim. And therefore, a simple translation would not suffice over here, because we want a translation that has interpretation of Chazal embedded in it. And therefore, other translations are not good enough. You must use the Targum. Others want to suggest that you can use something like Rashi. The problem with Rashi is that there are many Psukim where there is no Rashi. And Rashi is not always the Pashtuta Pasuk, or not necessarily giving that interpretation. And so the best way, the suggestion of the Shulchan Aruch and others, is to do Shtay Targum, is to do both the Targum and Rashi, in order to gain all of those benefits, thereby garnering the benefit of reading the Targum, which was given by Sinai, and has that interpretive translation. 
as well as Rashi, which has the benefit of giving the interpretation of all the psukim through the Midrashei Chazal. And obviously, if one needs a translation as well, that would be in addition to that. Rabbi Yishu ben Levi said a number of items to his children. One of them was to do shtay mikra vechatargum with the tzibor. Number two is vizarubi vridim. Be careful about the vridim, which are either the veins or the arteries, and the necks of the ofot. It could be the jugular vein, I think, or the carotid artery. Rabbi Yehuda, like the position of Rabbi Yehuda that we saw in Chulin, the Tanan Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Ad vridim. And when you shecht in the bird, you also have to cut through these veins or these arteries. And as Rashi points out over here, that's only if you're going to eat the bird whole. So when you eat the bird whole, the blood will not drain properly. So in order to have it drain properly, you must cut those veins and arteries to allow the blood, while it's still pumping, to exit the bird. And Rabbi Yehuda was goes there that all birds, you have to do this because many people eat birds whole. It's not true by animals, but it is true by birds. And because of that, we ask you to cut the veins or the arteries in every case in order to ensure that the blood exits. Now, truthfully, it's not a part of shechita. It's not a din in shechita. It's a separate din. It just to be easy to do it while you're cutting for the shechita to cut through them as well with the knife. But truthfully, they can be done separately and they're not part and parcel of the same mitzvah. And the other thing instructed is Be careful to give proper kavod to someone who is older that forgot his learning not because of his own negligence but because of duress. Either the duress of, as Rashi points out, getting parnasa, or the duress of age that caused him to forget his learning. Damrina, how do you know this? Because it says luchot v'shivrei luchot menuchot ba'aron. Both the luchot and the broken luchot were found in the aron. So just like the broken luchot, which were something that once was kadosh and had lost that kedusha, you still treat it with respect and put it in the aron. So too, this Zakain who once had the Torah, he still has that Kedusha. When you cut your meat, don't cut it while it's on the back of your hand. Some say it's a simple reason. He didn't want them to cut their hand. Don't cut through the meat. You can cut through the meat. Cut right into your hand. Some say because it'll ruin the meal. Because if you cut into your hand, you cause the blood to flow out. People see that they're not going to want to eat anymore. Do not sit on the bed of a Aramit. And don't walk by the back of the shul while the tzibur is davening. So now the Gemara goes back to explain the latter two that he said. It's like almost like an Amar Mar. What's the problem? Some say that means Don't go to sleep without saying Kriyachma. Because if you go to sleep without saying Kriyachma, then you make your bed like everybody else. A Jew has a different way of going to sleep and it's a different way of approaching everything. So saying Kriyat Shema changes where you go to sleep or the nature of the sleep that you have. Some say that you shouldn't marry a Gioret. And that's what the Aramit is over here. Don't marry a convert. Question of whether this is specific to them because Machloket in the Rishonim as to whether Rova was a Kohen or Rabba was a Kohen. But if Rova was a Kohen, that might have been the problem over here. Or... The other possibility is he was making a general point that when it comes to Gerim, you have to be careful of marrying Gerim. Vigadamre Aramit Mamash. We're talking about literally a Aramean. Umishuma said And because of an incident that took place with Rapopo, the Rapopo Azal Gabe Aramit, he went over to this house of a Aramean. They brought out a couch or a bed for him to sit on it. Amrulo shave, have a seat. I'm not going to sit down until you lift up the bed or the couch. And they saw there was a dead corpse of a child bear. They were trying to frame Rav Papa by having him sit on the couch. And after he sat on the couch, they would say that there was a dead child underneath and blame him for it. He was wise to that. But because of that incident, Rav gives the advice never to sit down on a Mita Aramit because of that incident with the framing of Rav Papa. Now the Gemara goes back to the third thing he instructed them, which is out of Don't walk by the back of the shul while the tzibur is davening. Now, back on Davov, we had a machloket as to what is considered to be achorei, the back of the shul. Is the back of the shul where the heichal, where the aron is? Or is the back of the shul where the doorway to enter is? And over here, it seems, as Tabide Rabbeinu Yonah point out, like Rashi's interpretation that Achor references the doorway entrance, 
And that is because Mesayle Reb Shua Ben Levi, Dam Reb Shua Ben Levi, Asur Adam Sheavor Achorei Beit Aknesset B'Shashet Tibur Mitpalim. It's improper for a person to pass by the back of the shul when the tibur is davening. Amar Abayi Velo Amran El Deleka Pitchachrina. That's only if there's no other door. Avalika Pitchachrina Late Lambav. There's another door. There's no problem. So what's clear here is the problem is Cheshad. Problem is that people are going to see you passing the shul and not going into daven. And if you don't go into daven. That'll be some sort of slight to a Kodesh Baruch Hu indication. Maybe this person is a kofar. He doesn't care about coming into the shul. So when he passes by the doorway and doesn't enter, that is improper behavior. Now, if there's another door, we eliminate that chashad because then people will say, oh, he passed this door, he's just going to enter from the other side. So as long as there is an alternative where they're not going to think the reason that he passed by this door is because he doesn't want to join the tzibor, then that's fine. Or there's another shul in town. There's another shul, and we could just assume that he passed by here, he's going to the other shul, that's fine as well. If he's not carrying a big load, or he's running, and he didn't put on tefillin, if he has any one of these items, because there it's clear the reason he's not entering the shul is because of the circumstances in which he finds himself, either because he's carrying a heavy load, so he can't enter the shul now. If he's running, he's going to somewhere. He has to be somewhere. And if he puts on tefillin, it's clear that he's not a kofar. He believes he just has to be somewhere else. So any item that can remove the chashad, that is sufficient to allow one to pass by that doorway. But so what's clear from here is that the Gemara calls Acharei Beit Knesset, the back where the door is. And that seems to fit more along the lines of Rashi's interpretation of the Gemara earlier back on Daf Vav. Tanya. There are three things that I love about the meads. When they cut the meat, they only cut it on the table, not on the back of their hand. And when they kiss, they kiss the back of the hand. And when they seek counsel or advice, they only do it out in the field. What's the postdoc that tells us that you should seek advice in the field? says when Yaakov is ready to leave the house of Levan after he gets the dream with the, the Malachim and Hashem tells him to leave, it says, So no, he calls them out to the field to discuss the matter with them. The reason Rashi points out that the walls have ears. And so better if you have to talk about private matters that you do it out in the field where there's nobody around rather than in the house or in the city where the walls have ears and the secret may not be kept. In terms of kissing, Rashi says that it's more sanitary to have the kiss the hand and not whether it's the cheek or the lips where there's a possibility of transference of saliva which would be unpleasant if you just kiss the hand as giving the due respect then that is a much better approach to kissing and demonstrating one's respect and the first one that they cut the meat they cut on the table and not on the back of their hand that references back to what we saw from Rav's instructions to his children that it wasn't a good idea to cut on the back of the hand. There are three things that I love about the Persians. They demonstrate a certain amount of humility when they eat. They eat privately, not out in the public domain. When they relieve themselves, they do it in a private manner. And when they cohabit, they do it in a manner that is tsanua. So all of these things are nice midot. And therefore he's complimenting them on that behavior and something that we can emulate because they're doing the right thing. So then it says, I commanded those that are holy. So there it's talking about the destruction of Bavel by Parasumadai. And it says that I commanded those that are holy. So instead of interpreting it as holy, Don't read it as holy as something positive, but rather Mikudash as being something that's designated designated for Gehinom. So now we're back to our Mishnah. The tail end of our Mishnah, we had the Machloket again, the three-way Machloket our Mishnah as to when the end of Zman Kriyat Shema is. We had the opinion of the of Rabbi Eliezer, that was until Sofer Shmarah Rishonat, Chachamim, which is until Chatzot, and Rabbi Gamliel, which is until Elot HaShachar. So I'm Rabbi Yehuda, I'm Shmuel, Elochel, Ki Rabbi Gamliel. The Loch is like Rabbi Gamliel. We mentioned this before when we discussed the opinion of Rabbi Gamliel. We say the Allah is like Rabbi Gamliel. Does that mean on a Chatechila level or does that mean on a Bidiyavid level? So the Allah is like only Bidiyavid. The Chatechila, even Rabbi Gamliel agrees that you should do it until Chatzot. And we're saying the Allah is like Rabbi Gamliel is only Bidiyavid. Or we're saying even the Chatechila, the Din is like Rabbi Gamliel. 
So that's open to interpretation over here. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer, Pamim, Shadam Kore, Kriyashma, Shtei Pamim, Balayla Achat. First, can read Kriyashma twice in the same night. Kodem Shiyadayadam Hodeshachar right before dawn. Vachala Achar Yishalom Hodeshachar one right after dawn. Biyotse ben Yedechwato, Achacho Yom, Achacho Layam. Biyotse, the Kriyashma of night of Shochbacha and the Kriyashma of day of Kumacho. Where it says, Hagufagasha, there's internal stira in the statement. Mar Pamim, Shadam Kore, Kriyashma, Shtei Pamim, Balayla. Saying that he read Kriyashma twice at night. Well, if it's night, then he can't accomplish Kriyachma Shel Yom. That seems to indicate that after dawn, it's still nighttime. And then it continues and says, You can Yotze your daytime Kriyachma. If it's night, how you Yotze your daytime Kriyachma? Sounds like it's daytime after dawn. It's really nighttime after dawn. Why do they call it daytime? There's some people who get up at that time. Since there are people who get up at the time, it's classified as uvkumecha. Amar avacha barchanina amar b'yishum and levi alocha k'rabshim b'yochai. Alocha is like b'yishum b'yochai in this case. Tosafot over here tries to understand what does it mean that it's really night and it's also uvkumecha. So the t- answer that Tosafot gives, he gives it here as well as in the next sugya. He says that as far as other mitzvot are concerned, it's still classified as night. But with regards to kriyat shema, it qualifies already as uvkumecha. So that's what it means, that it's nighttime, but Uvkumecha qualifies it for Kriyachma. The difficulty in that understanding is that we know from the Gemara and Megillah and the Mishnah Megillah, as well as Tosafot there, that it's already daytime after Amud HaShachar. And so to call it nighttime is very difficult, and we'll come back in a second to see what the other possibility of explaining this is. Some put this statement that Allah is like Shimon Bar Yochai about this member of Rabbi Shimon Yochai. The time Rabbi Shimon Yochai Omer Mishum Rabbi Akiva. Pamim Shadam Kore Kriyachma Shtei Pamim Bayom. Person read Kriyachma twice during the day. Achad Kodem Anetzachama one before sunrise. Achad Achar Anetzachama one after sunrise. Biyotze Bayani Dechavato and he'll be Yotze his obligation Achad Shoyom Achad Shalaya of Kriyachma at night and Kriyachma during the day. Where it says again Agufa Kasho it's an eternal steer in the brighter. So he reads Kriyachma twice during the day. You're suggesting here that before sunrise is considered daytime. And then afterwards you say, That Yotze Kriyachma of night at that time. So it sounds like it's nighttime. It's daytime. So why do they call it nighttime? There's some people that sleep at that time, and since people are still asleep at that time, there's a din of shoch b'cho. Tosfut says the same thing over here. What does it mean that it's night and it's day? But you still can say kriyat shema For other mitzvot, it's classified as daytime. Whereas for kriyat since there's still a kiyom of shoch b'cho, therefore it's still considered to be zman shchiva. So Tosfut answers the previous sugi as well as this one to, in the same manner, which is for other mitzvot it's designated as such. For Kriyachman, has a different designation because it's governed by Shachbachov Kumecha. That's what, in the end, somewhat rejects that answer because of difficulty and suggests, in the end, that there is actually an ability during the period of time between dawn and Neitzachama and sunrise to say Kriyachma twice. And if you said it twice during that time, one of them would qualify for Kriyachma of nighttime, Uv Shachbachov, and the other one would qualify for Uv Kumecha, even though they're at the same period of time. Because between dawn and and sunrise, people are in different stages. There are people who are still sleeping, but there are also people who are getting up. And since both of those are true, it can qualify both as Ubishachbucha and Ubkumecha in the same period of time. And on that, second bright, that between Alota Shachar and Nitzacham is classified like daytime. He could say Kriyachma, but he can't say Ashkivenu. Ashkivenu is a tefillah when one is going to sleep. It's a quest from Hashem that our sleep should go well and that we should be protected. That's only true when people are going to sleep. It's not when they're sleeping already. And so Rashi says, since you're at the tail end of the sleeping period, Rashi says this before Alota Shachar. If you say Kriyachma right before Alota Shachar, then you shouldn't say Ashkivenu. Tosafot and others suggest that the Ashkivenu that we're talking about here is not before dawn, but rather before Neitzachama. If you say Kriyachma between dawn and sunrise for the nighttime Kriyachma, then you shouldn't say Ashkivenu at that period of time, because once you're after dawn already, there are people are starting to arise, and the only thing you have here are people still sleeping. They're certainly not going to sleep, and because of that, it would be inappropriate to say Ashkivenu at that time. 
Piyata Rabbi Yitzchak by Yosef Amar Had Rabbi Achab Rabbi Chanina Amar Rabbi Shuman Levi Lab Beferushit Mar. So it's not stated explicitly. Elamichlolit Mar, but it was an inference that the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon by Yochai Mishum Rabbi Akiva. Before we said it as an explicit statement from Bishu Ben Levi, here the Gemara says it wasn't explicit, but is an inference from this case law that took place. There is pair of Rabbanan that got drunk at the wedding of Rabbi Shuman Levi's son, and they fell asleep. And then they woke up, and it was already past the time of Kriyat Shema They were already past dawn. So Mishuman Levi says they can't say Kriyat Shema because we can rely on Rabbi Shimon when there's a difficult situation. So here was a difficult situation where they were going to miss Kriyat Shema Shalayla altogether. So he said to them, okay, you can say Kriyat Shema now even though it's after dawn. But normally we would not recommend people saying Kriyat Shema Shalayla after dawn or that only if it's a difficult situation or something of some sort of duress that causes a person to have to say Kriyat Shema late, they can say it all the way past the Amud Shachar and before Netzach Hama, but we would not recommend that a person does this on a regular basis. Okay, we'll stop over here.